Please take your Bibles and turn with me to John's Gospel. To chapter 20, we'll study verses 1 through 18. John 20, verses 1 through 18. This is God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. He said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord our God stands forever. Let's pray.
For three days, O Lord, you held him in death's strong bonds. The word incarnate brought silent at the hands of wicked man and by the outpouring of your wrath. O Father in heaven, as we hear your word speak once again this morning, we pray that you would minister to us as we've heard how he suffered, how he groaned, how he breathed his last. Help us behold him in his resurrection glory. O Lord, turn our weeping to joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It doesn't matter that Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, that's a common question. It's as common as it is ancient. It's nothing unique to our generation. We don't necessarily live amongst a group of people who are more or less skeptical than those who have gone before us. This was even recorded in the scriptures, the debate regarding the resurrection of the Lord. This is one of those things that's in the mind of all of the gospel writers who again and again and again record testimony after testimony after testimony of people who saw Jesus and his public mocking, his public accusation, his public and terrible crucifixion and his public death. A guard comes, looks at Christ hanging on the cross. A man set to break the legs of the crucified looks on him and he's already dead. Doesn't break his legs. There's no need. There's no point. He's already breathed his last. And again, women at the tomb, they come after having been those who had taken his body down from the cross, having wrapped the limp, lifeless form of the Lord of glory in cloths. And they find the tomb empty. A great stone rolled away, a tomb guarded by Roman centurions. And then you have two disciples running, and it's empty. No one's home, no one's there. Again and again and again, the testimony is always focused on the simple question Does it matter if Jesus was raised from the dead? And you'll have some in the ancient church and around the ancient church and in opposition to the ancient church say a number of different things. Some will even suppose that, well, Jesus was raised only spiritually, but not physically. He only seemed to be raised, and there was something like a phantasm or a ghost that was beheld by those who came to the tomb and those who were visited by him after the crucifixion. But Mary clung to him. The disciples saw his hands and his feet. He ate fish. Does it matter if Jesus was raised to the dead? 
Friends, the historical bodily resurrection of the really and truly dead Jesus Christ is of the very essence of the Christian faith. Without this magnificent truth of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Christian religion implodes under its own weight. But with the resurrected Christ, Christianity stands forever because it has a living Lord that death cannot hold. Two things I want us to consider as we study the verses that we've read, verses 1 through 13, that without the resurrection, we mourn. Without the resurrection, we mourn. Verses 14 through 18, with the resurrection, we rejoice. With the resurrection, we rejoice. And so as we come to the passage of Scripture, we read in verse 1 that here's Mary Magdalene. She's one of three women that are recorded as having gone early while it was still dark to the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while, yes, it is a literal and historical record that it was not yet day, there is something of the reality of the spiritual darkness of the moment. They're going with hearts very heavy, overwhelmed by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's Mary of Magdalene. There's Mary, the mother of James. And then there is also a woman named Salome. But John wants us to focus specifically on Mary Magdalene. Her experience her meeting with the resurrected Lord Jesus. But what are these women doing and why are they going at this time? Well, you may recall that Jesus died on Friday. He hung on the cross on the day before the Jewish Sabbath. And we've already read in our selections that that was a high Sabbath and that it was improper that a dead body should remain on the cross and that there was a request that went up from the Jews that the bodies be disposed of and put away so that worshipers in the city of Jerusalem might not then be disturbed by what they saw. And so very hurriedly, on that Friday afternoon, before dark, they took Jesus down from the cross. And they had to do it really quickly. They didn't have time to care for him. They only had time to cover his body in cloths and to place him into a borrowed tomb. There wasn't sufficient time to clean his body. To prepare him for the opportunity that mourners would take to come and to be at his side. He's just placed in the tomb. Quick. With all expedience. To get him in a place secure. To get him in a place not on the cross. Not there in the face of the world. To continue and to decay. And to be a symbol of mockery. And to be a symbol of the horrific depravity of humanity. 
And so here we are. It's the first Lord's Day. It's Sunday. And these women and the disciples, they have been mourning. And they've been overwhelmingly broken, undoubtedly, by what's happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. They stood at a distance and they saw him high on a cross, lifted up. The whole world could see him, yet they could not help him. And that image burned in their mind, in their hearts. This Jesus, the one who was their teacher, their friend, the one who was their Lord and their master, he's dead. He's dead. And the whole Saturday on their hearts, on their minds, just continuing to return to this simple fact Jesus is in the grave. The first thing they do on the first day of the week, as soon as they can get up, as early as they can wake, as they go, they take ointments, they take sweet spices, and they go to be near the Lord. They're there to clean his body. They're there to anoint his body so that whenever those who are coming to mourn come near, they're not overwhelmed by the smell of decomposition. That's why they're there. Why are they there when it's dark? It's probably so that they beat Mary, the mother of the Lord, to his grave. So that they're there before the mourners come. So that they can then care for him and mourn in their own hearts. And so what do we find? Well, in verse 1, it's that they come early while it's still dark, mournful hearts, and they see that the stone has been taken away. And in verse 2, it begins to pick up and the action goes quickly. And something that isn't common in the Bible, and certainly not in the first century, we read that she ran. Mary took up and she ran, probably lifting her garment and running in panic, The tomb's open. The tomb's not supposed to be open. He's not there. And in her mind and in her heart, even as she mourns, there's panic and there's concern. Who has taken the Lord? And she runs. And here John places her as the spokesman of the women. Maybe she's the fastest, youngest. I don't know. text doesn't tell us. We only know so much about Mary Magdalene that she was a woman who was harassed by demons and who the Lord freed from demonic oppression. And that she loved Jesus and followed Jesus. But here she is. She runs to the disciples. The text doesn't tell us. She could have had in her mind and in her heart the simple task to go and to ask the disciples as if taking them by the shoulders and saying, have you done something with him? Have you had some other tomb open for him? Have you had someone else embalm and care for his body? Where is he? Where is he? And you can feel the panic of the moment as she runs to them and she proclaims this to them. Maybe it is she's concerned, undoubtedly. Somebody has taken him. Somebody has possibly put him on public display, desecrating his body, adding insult to injury and keeping the mournful hearts of those who sorrow over the dead Christ from having the opportunity to be near him, to say goodbye to him, 
and to do him the honor that he deserved as their Lord. But as she goes, she finds Simon Peter, completely unaware of the circumstance. She tells him he has no idea. He takes John then, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and they run. And so we have other people running. And let me say, if women don't run in the first century, men certainly don't run. There's urgency in the text. They're lifting their garments and they're flying to the tomb. I love the realism here too. Only a a, a first person perspective would be able to give you this kind of information. Verse 4, that both of them were running together, but the disciple, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. That's such a man thing to say in the biblical record. Oh yeah, I outran Simon Peter. They run to the tomb, hearts urgent, probably racing with the same concerns that she's had. Where is the Lord? Is somebody doing something horrible to my Lord after what they've already done? Mournful, running, racing. And then there's just the simple assumption, though John doesn't record it, that Mary's not far behind. John doesn't admit that he's been outrun by her. We assume she arrived later. But they go to the tomb. John first running to the tomb, peeking through the door, seeing the cloths laid on the floor. Peter, being as he is, very strong, runs straight through the door of the tomb, seeing the cloths, but also seeing the face cloth that covered his head laid there neatly folded as if someone took it off with care. And here's the picture. You've got the disciples, yes, in their mourning, but in the urgency of the moment, searching for the Christ, and he's not there. And there's no angelic testimony for them. They look one after another, and they don't find him. And then we come and continue to read. And there's the testimony in verse 8 that the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. What's he believing? Friends, I would encourage you to consider it in this way because of the context. He believes that Christ is gone from the tomb. He believes the report of Mary. He's been taken. Because whenever you take that verse... Verse 8, in connection with the rest of that sentence, verse 9, it makes sense. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And so you have this picture of these men having heard the report of the missing Jesus, then going and finding the grave empty, and then they, with heads bowed, overwhelmed with sadness, just simply leaving without a single word said to her. And there's Mary. She's back at the tomb. She's trailed behind them. And in verse 11, we read very simply that in the midst of her mourning, she stood weeping outside the tomb. Weeping. Now, this word doesn't just mean crying, just in a general sense. You may be like me, whenever you cry, it's not an overwhelming downpour, a great show of emotions, a volcanic breakdown of a broken heart. 
Or maybe that is who you are. Maybe you are very emotional. Maybe you do experience it that way. But in this circumstance, this is Mary undone. The trembling and sobbing body of a person who is mourning the loss of a loved one. She's completely undone and she stands at the edge of the tomb. It's as if she's too timid to even enter in. She's just looking through the door like John when he gets to the door first. And she's overwhelmed. And what we are told here is that even as the tears fall down and the groans of her soul go forth in the weeping and the mourning that she has, that she stoops to look inside just once more. You ever lost anything? And gone looking for it. I do all the time. Probably two or three times a day. Every member of my house seems to be a little bit like me about this. You ever gone and said, well, I had it in this one place. I put it down. And then you go and you look. It's not there. You misplaced it. And then you look everywhere else that it possibly could be. And you go back to the first place. And you look again. And you're looking just hoping. Maybe it's under the pillow. Maybe it's between the couch cushions, something, I've, I've missed it, I've misplaced this thing. Well, it seems to be that this is something on the heart of Mary. Maybe I missed him, maybe the, maybe the disciples just didn't see him, maybe the body somehow just rolled off, maybe he's somewhere, there's a, a sign or a mark. Well, through her tears, Mary sees, in verse 12, two angels in white. And they're sitting where the body of Jesus had been laid, one at the head and one at the foot of the place where he was. And they speak to her, these angels. And in her mourning, they ask her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, I don't know about you, but if in the midst of my grief and grieving, my mourning... I meet two angels who are quite evidently angels. How do they look? I don't know how they look. The text doesn't tell me how they look. But nonetheless, she gives testimony to the clarity of this, that they're angels, and they ask her the simple question, woman, why are you grieving? How would you respond? I'd probably take a moment of pause, at least. I've never seen an angel, not yet. I'd love to see an angel. But I think at least there would be a little difference. And one of the things to simply note is this too, that angels come specifically to God's people. And we see this in the life of Christ at least two times where Christ is tempted in the wilderness. Jesus is then uh, attended by ministering angels or comforting angels who console him as he's gone through a great trial. They're good at this. They also go to Jesus in Gethsemane. And as he's overwhelmed with grief at the coming suffering of the cross and of the dereliction of the Father, where the Lord will turn his face away from the Son, their angels come again. And they minister to him and they console him and they comfort him as he was overwhelmed. So these angels are good at this. But you can see the depth of her grief. These angels, sufficient to comfort the Lord Jesus Christ, then, even as they try to comfort the woman, really don't have a great effect. 
woman, why are you weeping? And she just responds as if she's talking to just anyone. They have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. It's really simple. She doesn't ask of their angelic counsel, where is the Lord? Now she gives voice to her grief. And where in verse 2, where we have the testimony that they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, now it is changed and in the heart of the mourner, overwhelmed by the dead Christ, it is they have taken my Lord. She owns him as her own. And she's broken hearted. I don't know where they have laid him. I don't know where they have laid him. And this is significant grief. This is significant mourning. It's painful mourning. And why am I pointing it out to you? Well, it is because if Jesus is dead, the only thing you and I have to do is mourn. To grieve. To be overwhelmed with sadness. To think on the cross and to simply say, that's it. That's the end of it all. The Lord, the teacher, my friend... The one who saved me, who cared for me. The one who freed, in the case of Mary Magdalene, me from demons. That one, he's he's done. It's over. And there's grief and there's overwhelming mourning that our hearts ought to engage in. To just think on Christ, the dead one, not the living one. That yes, in this circumstance, if it is true that Christ is not raised, death is one. Grief is the response Does it matter that Jesus was raised from the dead? Christian, if you ever hope to have any ounce of joy, the answer is simple and clear, and it's a resounding yes, because if he isn't raised from the dead, we ought to be a people broken and in tears. The Apostle Paul considers the question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, and this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied.
If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, we need to be at the side of Mary, bawling our eyes out, filling lakes with tears, pouring out our hearts until we have no strength with which to pour them out anymore. There is no joy in the Christian life if there is no raised Christ. But there's good news, Christian. In verse 20, Paul continues and he says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. The grave is empty. The testimony is clear. The dead Christ lives. Death could not hold him. And now as we turn to verse 14 of the text of Scripture in John 20, you and I get to see that with the resurrection, we get to rejoice. Just look at it with me. Verse 14. After having responded to the angels, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she cried out, Rabboni. It's a wonderful story and it's a wonderful truth that in verse 14 that even as she's standing at the edge of the grave, even being consoled by angels that don't prevail upon her, that in verse 14 we're just simply told she sees Jesus standing, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. There are a couple of different theories by commentators. What in the world is going on here? Okay? couple. One theory is that in her grief, which we've already talked about, is loud, it's overwhelming to her, that maybe her eyes are swollen, or maybe she's got her eyes filled with tears, or she's got her face cast down, and this person, Jesus, is standing in a situation where she can't see him. But that's actually not what the passage of Scripture says, is it? No. Verse 14, we read, Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus. She saw him. And so we have to ask the question, well, if she saw him, then what in the world is going on? Why wouldn't she know Jesus? It's not just the crying. It's not just the sobbing. It's not her being overwhelmed. I would suggest to you, friends, that it is in a measure spiritual. There's a testimony in the scriptures, Luke chapter 24 We have two occasions where this is recorded, verses 16 and 31, where the disciples are kept from recognizing Jesus. They're kept from it. 
They don't see him with the eyes of faith. They don't recognize him in the fullness of his resurrected state. And we could ask questions until, you know, our minds just give up for exhaustion. Why is this? What is this? Did Jesus look different? Did he sparkle or something? Was he figured in a different way? The Bible just doesn't tell you. What we are told It's at the eyes of those who saw him, whether it was Mary here or the disciples later, that whenever they looked on Jesus, they did not recognize him as the resurrected Lord. And Mary continues in her grief. She doesn't realize the resurrection. She doesn't see him because she's altogether committed to this idea that somebody has carried him away. She even responds to Jesus who asks, Woman, why are you weeping? Woman, who are you seeking? She thinks Jesus is the gardener and she says, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Overwhelmed. She can't only see her grief. She can only see the cold, hard, painful reality of death. After all, she's rational. She's got hands that felt his lifeless body. She has eyes that see pretty well. She saw him taken from the cross. She wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in the tomb along with others. He has been unquestionably, demonstrably dead. And angels can't shake her from it. And even the presence of Jesus has yet to reveal it to her. Until verse 16, Jesus calls her by name. Mary. What was the tone of his voice like? Hearing her struggle with this with a broken heart looking for him in the tomb, having heard him teach at least three times, at least three times recorded in scripture that he would suffer and die and be resurrected. Is Jesus frustrated with her? Oh, come on, Mary. Come on, Mary. How could you not know? I said it time and time again. Come on, Mary. You saw me suffer, not just as anybody. You saw me suffer as the Son of God. Don't you know my teaching? Don't you know my teaching? No, no, that's not what you have here. You have the sensitive and the tender voice of Jesus who knows her and knows her weakness and knows her difficulty with faith and he simply calls her by name personally, Mary. And it's his sensitive touch and his kindness to sinners like Mary Magdalene and like you and me that we have any sense of this magnificent thing, this wonderful miracle that is well beyond what the rational mind can perceive. Have you ever seen anything else be resurrected? The answer is a simple and honest no if you have any truth left in you. It's made plain to her by Jesus and his personal handle of her heart, her mind. And in this case, her ears as the sheep hears the voice of the shepherd. She turns and with a shout, Rabboni, my great teacher. 
And then in verse 17, you get a little bit more of the, the picture of what's going on. We're told uh, that Jesus responds after she shouts, my great teacher. He says to her, don't cling to me. And what John doesn't tell you is that evidently she, she seizes him and grabs him and she hugs him and her arms are around him like iron bands around the Lord. Her fingers dug into him and she's clinging on tightly. There's not a word of skepticism, not a question of how is it possible, but rather she has found him personally and is feeling his human body really and she's holding on to him with all that she has because her mourning has been turned to joy by his word there's no more mourning there's no more sorrow just overwhelming gladness if there are tears It is the tears that flow from joyful eyes. The resurrection means that death did not win. The resurrection means that Jesus lives. The resurrection means that what he said is true and that all of his promises are for me and for you and they're for Mary and they reign over death in this life. And that if we know him as he is the resurrected Lord, that you and I have all the hope and all of the promises that he has given to us. That we can simply know that by faith in him, we have no reason to fear death because death could not hold him. And he is our Lord. You see, for Mary and for you and for me, When we consider the resurrection, we get a simple taste of the kingdom that's coming. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. A testimony of the new heavens and the new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. So Christian, will you weep? On this Lord's day, will you weep on this Easter? Will you weep whenever the cross that held him is empty and so also the grave has had the stone rolled away? Will you weep whenever the Christ lives and is freely offered to you? Because in Christ, for you and for me, we're in a day where there is no more mourning, there is no crying, 
where we anticipate great things and where we have the assurance that he is making us new even as he will make all things new. Praise be to God. He is risen. He has risen indeed. It would be one thing to then take and go right to the end, say amen and pass right on, but I want you not to look away from the passage of Scripture until you see this. As she's hugging Jesus, Jesus says, as if to take his hands and to peel her fingers back. He says, hang on a second, I'm not with my father yet. Don't cling to me, I still have things to do. And then he commissions her in her joy in the resurrected Christ to do this. He says, go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And we read that Mary went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he said these things to her. What does Christ intend for Christians, for people who believe in the resurrection? He intends us to be mouthpieces, to be a people filled with joy who will tell all who will come to faith and enter into the household of the Lord Jesus Christ. For us to be mouthpieces. And so Christians, I simply encourage you and call you to it. Don't be quiet and don't be a weeping people. Be a people who proclaim the risen Lord. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the scriptures that testify to the resurrection of Jesus our Lord. We thank you. That again and again you give clear and wonderful evidences that Jesus did not remain dead and that we have an eternal hope. O Father in heaven, be with us as we continue to worship. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.